Open your Bibles this morning to James chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be in the first few verses here, James chapter 5, as we continue verse by verse uh, through the book of James, talking about the reality of our relationship with Christ, the reality of this faith walk uh, with Christ. And we want to live lives that are surrendered to Him and not uh, dominated by me. Uh, that's the life that he's called us to live. That is the Christian life. And, uh, and we looked at, our, back in chapter 4, we looked at those rhythms of that life of faith, uh, the rhythms of faith, living a life that is submitted to God, that is resisting the devil, that is drawing near to God, that has a, a clean and pure heart before God, a life of humility. And, uh, and as we uh, know that that's the life that we're called to live, are we really living that? You know, it's almost like James, as he laid all those things out, he could almost hear the people that are reading the letter and say, okay, James, we got this. And he says, oh, really? Uh, you got this, right? Uh, he said, well, what about, and we look back in chapter 4 where he started talking about, well, what about your mouth? Are you speaking evil of others? Are you, are you speaking words that are hurting others? And then last week we looked at uh, our future plans. What about your plans? Are you leaving God out of your plans? Are you even praying about your future, about uh, what God would have you do with your life? Are you living a life surrendered to the will of God? Are you really living this life of faith? And then uh, this morning in James chapter 5, he asked this question. He says, what about your money? What about your money? Your finances, does that show a life that is surrendered to God, that is submitted to God, that is, that is trusting in God uh, with your life? And so that's what we're looking at here in, in James chapter 5. Now, before we read that passage, I want to remind you, you don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. I want to remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, right in the middle of the, the Sermon on the Mount, which if you're doing that engaged Bible reading, we're going to be reading right through here. That's where we are. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 4, and you'll be reading through this this week. But in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus himself said, No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and who? Mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. That word mammon there, uh, if you've done any study, if you're familiar with that passage, you know that it's, he's talking about possessions. He's talking about wealth. And, and that's what the word mammon literally means. And he says you cannot serve mammon. You shouldn't live. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you shouldn't be a slave to finances, a slave to money. You shouldn't be owned by your possessions. You shouldn't be mastered by your possessions. Matter of fact, the word mammon comes from a, a, a Syrian or Chaldean uh, a deity, an idol that they worshiped called mammon that was the god of wealth. You prayed to this idol so that you would prosper financially. You'd prosper uh, in your wealth. And so what he's talking about here, he's talking about worship. Who do you worship? Do you worshiping God? Are you worshiping mammon? Are you worshiping the possessions of this world? What do we mean by worship? What would worship of mammon look like? Well, it looked like where you, you live a life where you're constantly lusting after more. You want more and more. Where you're envious of those who have more than you. Where you're anxious and worried about uh, whether you're going to be able to keep up or whether you're going to be able to continue to have what you have. You disobey God's commands because you want to do what's, oh, what's financially beneficial for you. 
or what you think is beneficial for you. And even to the point that when finances don't go the way that you want them to go, you begin to doubt God. And why isn't God giving you these things that you want and you doubt his provision and you doubt his love? Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, is your God gold or or is gold your God or is God your gold? That's what he was saying. Is gold your God or is God your gold? The Christian life, the life of faith is where our treasures are not found on this earth. Our treasure is God himself. So James chapter 5 is that's what James is talking about here. So look with me in verse 1 where he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. By the way, we're living in the last days. <laughs> Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. Tough words. But understand what he's saying is, what he's saying is, is that if you're living a life that is submitted to God, this shouldn't be true of you. This shouldn't describe your life. Now, immediately when I read that first verse, many of you have already decided you're going to tune me out because he says there in verse now, he says, come now, you rich. And you already say, that's not me. I'm not rich. <laughs> so I don't care what brother Doug says. He's not talking to me, you know, because I'm not, not rich. And that probably most all of us here would say that, that we're not rich. But, but let me ask you this. This is what we need to understand. If you're here today and you live in a house and you have running water, and you have electricity, and you have a refrigerator that has food in it, as well as a pantry that has some food in it. And if you have enough money that when you leave this church, you can go through the drive-thru at one of these fast food restaurants and get you something to eat, then you are wealthier than 80 to 85% of this world. It just depends on how you look at it. We would be wealthier than most of the people that James is writing to and calling them rich. So the reality is, is we say we're not rich, but money and finances fill our thoughts and fill our worries and our activities. We, we spend what we don't have to get what we don't need. We feel like if we just had a little bit more or a lot a bit more, we'd really be happy if we had those things. And we're basing our happiness and things that will never bring us joy. And whenever we go through a financial struggle, we immediately go to that default attitude of, well, if God cared for me, he'd give me more than I have. We struggle with finances. And oftentimes this this. This, the financial area of our life centers around me 
And we want to live comfortable lives. And our finances are offered right at the center of a me-centered life. And if we were honest, we might not describe it this way, but Jesus and James describe it this way. We serve and we worship mammon, me. And so let's, let's look at what James, that's really what James is doing. Even though the word mammon's not used here, and even though the word worship is not used here, that's really what he's doing. He's describing a mammon worship service or a mammon worship life or a life that is centered around Financial, putting the, the financial well-being and wealth ahead uh, of this world. The, he doesn't use the word worship, but he has several acts of worship that are laid out here. So let's, let's look at some of these acts of, of worship. The worship of mammon. This is what it looks like in James's day, and there's some uh, realities in our day as well. What does it look like? Well, first of all, mammon worshipers hoard up treasure. There's the hoarding of treasure there. In verse 3, he talks about that. He says, your gold and silver are corroded, and the corrosion will be a witness against you, and you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. And so in spite of all this reality of what he's talking about here, still there's this hoarding of treasure. When he talks about heaping up treasure, that's one more word in the original language here, and it means to amass. It means to store up for future use. And what is it that we're storing up for? What is this future use that we've got to have more and more and more of? Really, it is this worship of the treasure. We're hoarding up this treasure because it makes us feel good to have these things and to have this treasure. And so notice he uses the word treasure here when he talks about heaping up treasure. It's not by accident that word is, is used here because that's the, the reality is, is what is it that you treasure? What is it that you value the most? Is it a comfortable lifestyle, whatever we want to say is comfortable, although whenever we get that comfortable lifestyle, we think we need a little bit more to be more comfortable? What is it that we treasure? And notice he says, you've heaped up treasure in the last days. What's going on in the world around us should, should make us realize that this is us. We are in the last days. That's prophetic as James who had been uh, uh, raised as a, as a Jew and familiar with the Old Testament prophets. That was a common language that was used among the Old Testament prophets of prophetic time, of the future time, of the, the last days. And we are, so what are you holding on to? What is it that you're going to use this for? Because pretty soon this is all going to be over with. We are in the last days. Let me, let me ask you to do this. This is what I want you to do. Right, Just close your eyes, okay? I'm not going to hit you with anything. All right, you're not going to miss anything on the stage. Right now, just close your eyes. And I want you to recognize that everything you see right now is yours. All right, open your eyes. Everything else is not yours. And you won't take it with you. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. So why are you hoarding up treasures? Earthly, moth infested, corroded, corroding, decaying treasures. We don't need to hoard up treasure. We need to give it away. We need to give it away. Not only does mammon worship look like hoarding up treasures, but here's another act of mammon worship, defrauding others. 
He says in verse 4, he says, Indeed, the, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And so he's talking about fraud. He's talk, the word fraud, it, it means to deprive someone of something, to take something away from them. In other words, you have these laborers that have worked for you and have done the job that you asked them to do, but you're not going to give them what they've earned. You're not going to give them, uh, uh, you're only going to give them, you're going to give them less than what they've, they've worked for or what you promised them, or maybe not give anything at all. That's the idea, because you're, you're thinking more of yourself than giving others what, what they deserve or what they have worked for, because you don't don't care about others. You're thinking about how can this benefit me? How can I get this work done but do it in the way that'll benefit me the most? It's always about me. Defrauding others is not about them, it's about me. You know, it's interesting that this word that is used here for fraud, it's when it's uh, you translate the Old Testament to Greek, this word is used uh, in the Old Testament as well. And in particular, it is used when talking about in the Old Testament when they had multiple wives, how they would take one wife and they'd find a second wife and they'd give everything to the second wife and deprive the, the first wife to the point that she would even die. And really, I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying... Why are you loving the things of the world and neglecting me? Now, Jesus is not going to die. But still, we go after the things that the world promises. And if you're going to live that type of life, you're going to neglect Christ. Defrauding others is what he's talking about here. We need to be living a life that ministers and blesses others and gives honor and glory to Jesus, not defrauding others. He continues here with other acts of worship. What does the worship of mammon look like? It looks like this, indulging the flesh. Verse 5, he says, you've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. The word pleasure, it means to live softly, to live comfortably, to live with as, li as little uh, effort and, and work as possible because you're accumulating this wealth and to get it as, as easily as, as possible. That's the idea of pleasure. It's, it's, it's me first. What is going to make my life easier? What is going to help me to in indulge in these things? That's the idea of pleasure. And then when he talks about luxury, it's talking about giving everything just to satisfy your flesh, just to satisfy your lust, just to satisfy your pleasure. It's a, it's a me-only lifestyle that will do whatever it takes. But as we pursue these things and, and trying, looking for pleasure, looking for, for luxury, looking for comfort, it never comes. Because there is no joy in the material things of this world. It's fleeting. It's, it's vanity. That's what the richest man in the world, Solomon, said. He said, it's vanity. It's all in vain. You see, as, as believers, we don't need to be indulging our flesh. We need to be growing our spirit because that's what truly matters. But yet when we spend all our effort and time on indulging the flesh, we will never grow in the spirit. And then interesting what else he says in verse 5 is he talks about a fattening of the heart. Fattening hearts. I didn't make this up. This is what James says. He says, you have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Fattened hearts. You see, 
Riches and wealth, the pursuit of riches and wealth will affect your heart. Matter of fact, it gets your heart all mixed up because you pursue what you're, you're passionate about, what your priority is. And when riches and wealth are our priority, that is our, becomes our passion. And the idea of fat is the idea of our hearts getting fattened because we're, we're adding all this other stuff. That we're, we're loving the things of this world. We may say we love God, but we're really loving the things of this world. And we're adding these things that don't belong to our heart. Listen, God doesn't want us to have fat hearts. He wants us to have pure hearts. Pure hearts before him. As a matter of fact, he said, this is the most important thing you can do in your life. It's not attain wealth. It's not build houses or, or build barns. It's not, it's not accumulate the things of, of this earth. The most important thing you can do is love the Lord your God with all your heart. All your heart. Get everything out of your heart that competes with God. Better to have absolutely nothing in this world and have a heart that is sold out to Jesus than have everything this world offers and yet not have a love for him. Fattened hearts. Rather than a heart for treasures, we need to have a heart for God. And if there's anything that pulls it away from God and finances will do that, Wealth will do that. Then get it out. Get rid of it. Then finally, he even talks about taking life. As he says, you have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. You know, when I was reading this and you begin to think, did they really do this? Now, I hadn't talked to anybody that was alive back in James's day to verify whether they did this or not, but it's there. And some want to say, well, it's just the idea of, of condemning them so that they would lose their, their wealth is the same as, as murdering them. And there is some reality to that, but there may have been even people alive in that day. And there are people here today that, that will, to get what they want, they will take life. That's what money will do to you. See, the idea of condemning them is the idea of making sure that the judge rules against them so that they lose everything and you get it. And that's where the idea of murder comes in, that you will do everything to take away their life, whatever means necessary to get what they have. So that's what mammon does. Mammon, if mammon is your God, then you don't care about others. It's only me. See, real life is only found in Christ. And so mammon will take the life out of you. And not only that, but it'll take away the opportunity to share life with others. If we're serving mammon, and yet we want to, uh, if mammon is a priority of our lives, yet we're trying to tell people that Jesus ought to be the priority of their life, that just doesn't work. That's a poor witness. We need to give witness to life. We don't need to be taking life. We need to be giving life. And we need to live a life that is sold out to the way, the truth, and the life. And his name is Jesus. 
And so he, as he lays this out, he lays out these, these acts of worship, the worship of, of mammon. But then he says, okay, if you're going to live this way, if that's what you're going to be doing, this is what you get. This is the, you could say the blessings, blessings in quotation mark, the, the blessings of mammon worship. Now, there are blessings when we worship God. There are spiritual blessings. There are eternal blessings. There are are impact blessings upon our life and the lives of those around as we live a life of worship to God. And there are impact and there are are benefits, I don't want to say benefits, but there are results of mammon worship as well. Three primary results that he talks about here in this passage. One is personal misery. You want to worship mammon? Well, this is a benefit. This is a blessing. Misery. What does he say there in verse 1? He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. He goes on and says, Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and the corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's misery. The word misery means overwhelming hardship, overwhelming distress. I don't care what lie the enemy feeds you. I don't care what lie your flesh is trying to get you to buy into. Mammon, pursuing mammon, living a life of mammon worship is not an easy life. It only brings misery. Misery. Riches bring pain. You see, anytime you follow the devil, that's what you get. And idol worship, putting anything before God, is exactly the devil's plan for our lives. And so anytime we put wealth or anything before God, then what's going to come from that? Destruction, death. Misery, that's what sin produces in our life. And so riches and and putting riches before God, that's going to to bring pain into our life. And not only that, but the thing that we're pursuing is fleeting. It will fall away. They will be gone one day. We cannot take it with us. I've been doing funerals for 30-something years now, and I've never seen a U-Haul truck following a hearse. It doesn't happen. Why? Because you can't take it with you. Now, in the old days, they used to try that. That's why they built those pyramids and those great tooths, and they put all those treasures in there with them for them to take to their other life. And you know what? All that treasure is still in that tomb because you can't take it with you. It benefits you nothing after you breathe your last here. But let me tell you something else. You give your life to Jesus, it will benefit you for eternity. You can't take the treasures of this world. But let me tell you something. If you give your life to Jesus, I got good news for you. I was just thinking about this this week. When you, you can't take your treasures with you, but let me tell you something else. When you give your life to Jesus and you go to meet him, you don't take any IV pumps with you. You don't take any pain medicine with you. You don't, you don't take in, there's no pharmacies in heaven. There's no doctor's offices in heaven. Matter of fact, they won't even let you take a Band-Aid into heaven. Who will you worship? Personal misery. Cries for justice. That's another blessing. 
Instead of people joining you in worship, they say, well, we'll just all be, I've, I've heard of, uh, matter of fact, when I did prison ministry, I heard one guy talking about, he was telling me that when he got to hell that he and all his buddies would be there and they'd just have a good party. And I said, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. All that's coming out of hell today are cries for justice. Look at what he says here in verse 4. He says, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Here he talks about the, the, the wages cry out. All this money that we've had and we have used for our flesh, we have used for ourselves, one day that will be a witness against us because it's not ours. Everything that's been put in your hands has been put there by God. And we'll be held accountable for every penny that we spend on this earth. Not only do our wages cry out, but people cry out against us. What is your witness? What is your witness? Who do others say is your God? You claim to be a worshiper of Jesus? Well, does your life show that? Are you a worshiper of mammon? The people of this earth that have been, that we've taken advantage of, that we've abused, that we've refused to help, they will be witnesses against us one day. There are cries for justice. And then there's also divine accountability as well. That's what, right there at the end of verse 4. That's what he's talking about there when he says, The cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. He's talking about Jesus here. This is a, a Hebrew name for God, one of the many names of God. It's translated oftentimes in our, our uh, English translations as Lord of hosts. When uh, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, saw the Lord high and lifted up, they, they saw, heard the angels proclaiming, they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord Sabaoth here. He is the one that is on the throne. He is the one seated upon the throne. He is the one that everyone will stand before one day. He is the one that deserves worship because he is the only God. You serve the God of mammon, you've got the wrong God. You serve the God of wealth and riches, you've got the wrong God. The only right God is the Lord of hosts and his name is Jesus. He is the only one, and he deserves our worship. He deserves our surrender. He deserves our obedience, even when we don't understand. He deserves everything from us. And so everything that you have is a gift from him. Give it back to be used for his glory. He deserves worship. And not only that, but he demands worship. Because one day every knee will bow before him. And everyone will give an account of their lives. He said, well, wait a minute, I'm a believer. I, I, don't, I won't have to give an account of my life. You ever heard of the judgment seat of Christ? Paul in 1 Corinthians talking to the church, talking to believers back then, he says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not if you put your faith in Jesus, you are covered by the grace of God. You're covered by the blood of Jesus. You're not going to be cast out, but we're going to have to give an account of what we've done with the life that we have. How have we used our blessings? 
How faithful have we been to God? Have we worshipped him? Have we told others about him? And everything that we, we've done out of wrong motives and we've done in the flesh and all the things that we've neglected, they will be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. And then the only treasures that will last is what's done for Jesus Christ. We will all stand before the Lord of hosts. And I've got good news for you, though. If you know the Lord of hosts, he not only is the one that everyone has to give an account for, but he is the one that will protect us and take care of us as well. When David was facing Goliath, he said, Goliath, you don't serve my God, but I want you to know my God is the Lord of hosts, and he will take you down. What I'm trying to say is, if you choose Jesus Christ, you've made the right choice. Absolutely made the right choice. He is a treasure beyond anything this world has to offer. He is the treasure. He is the gold. Just like Matthew Henry said, is gold your God or is God your gold? treasure our invitation this morning is pretty simple if you've been serving the wrong God if you've been worshiping the wrong God let me tell you something these riches they will not last and these riches cannot save you the wealth of this world cannot save you I encourage you this morning to come to Jesus put your faith in the right God Give your life to Jesus Christ. And for those of us that have made that decision, let's lay our wealth, let's lay our finances, let's lay everything that we have, let's put it on the altar before God and say it's all yours anyway. Use it for your glory. Do you want more money or do you want more of Jesus? Jesus.